0: The following podcast is from Tabernacle Baptist Church in Cartersville, Georgia. Thanks for listening. Hey, if you have a copy of God's Word with you this morning, I hope you do. I want to invite you to find your place in Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. This morning we're looking at verses 13 through 17, and I'm speaking this morning on the subject, a proper view of God and government. A proper view of God and government. If you know, we've been in a series of messages continuing and concluding this morning, a series of messages entitled, What We Need Now. In light of all that's going on in society, I really felt led and burdened to to share a series of messages on this subject and to just give us some biblical truth to help us navigate through these strange times. So we started first week. We looked at the importance of prayer. Second week, humility. Then we talked about the need for great commandment loving, living by that great commandment that Jesus has given us. And then last week, we talked about the need for great commission living, going into all the world and making disciples of Jesus. I want to conclude this series with a message entitled A Proper View of God and Government. In the text that we have before us, religious and political leaders both approach King Jesus and they ask him a question about God and government in order to ensnare him in an attempt to trap him in his words if you know back in Mark chapter 3 verse 6 they've had a strategy all along uh, to trap Jesus to get him to say something incriminating so that they would have just cause and eyes of the law to have Jesus put to death. And now they come attempting to ensnare him with a proverbial catch-22 type of question. And Jesus here, Mark gives us record, responds to his opponents masterfully. And in his words, we see heaven-sent, Holy Spirit-inspired teaching for how we can have a proper view of God and government. Now, it's so critical in this day and age in which we live that we have biblical truth for this subject. If we don't understand, according to the Bible, how to approach these two subjects of God and government, we we can easily become discouraged and depressed as we try to navigate life in this 21st century society. If we don't have a proper view, biblically speaking, of God and government, we can unwittingly, if we're not careful, unwittingly sell out the truth of God for man's ideas and ideals. If if we don't have a biblical view of how Christians are to approach God and government, we as God's people may not be the witnesses the Lord wants us to be, in this world we've got to know how to approach God and government yesterday we spent the afternoon our family did with some friends in Cedartown Georgia one of my best friends in the entire world his mother passed away this past week at 67 years age um, from uh, the coronavirus and so we spent the afternoon with this family and pray for them if you will I'm doing that funeral this afternoon and pray for that family. It seems like her life was cut short entirely too soon, really at a young age at 67 years old. We were with this family on their family land and the boys and their kids got to see uh, friends they had had years before when we lived in Cedar Town. and the boys as we were meeting with the family came running in and one of them said Dad they got four-wheelers out here. Can we ride the four-wheelers? Now knowing that they've never been on a four-wheeler before and knowing that they are dangerous just on a bicycle, I said, boys, we better not do four-wheelers today. It's time and a place. You probably need an adult out there, might need a little bit of training before you get on that four-wheeler. Now, in life, sometimes we need training. We need some know-how. I'm thankful that in the Bible, we have the only book God wrote we have inspired scripture, we have the very words of God. And though in life we may face things that can be dangerous at times, like trying to live with the proper perspective of God and government, though in life we may at times have confusion and be perplexed about how we navigate through the choppy waters of life, though in life we may face difficult things, we have God's word as an authority. We have it as a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And God's word gives us truth for all things pertaining to life and godliness. And that includes the subject of God and government. How can we live with a proper perspective of God and government? Consider this morning from God's word six pieces of advice. Six pieces of advice. Number one, I would say this. Realize there will always be... Attention! Realize there is a tension. Uh, yesterday I went for a run, and really I've been run, running too much this past week. On Thursday I took an extra day off, and for me I was excited. I love to just get alone and maybe go on a bike ride or run. That's my my hobby. You know, you may think that's strange, but went for a long run on Thursday, and then tried it again yesterday. But I'm getting older, so it takes, I need a little bit more rest. I got out there running last night, and man, I had a a tight spot right here behind my knee. I had some tension, and know this, in life there are tensions that may never be resolved this side of eternity. There are things, I hope you have this biblical worldview, that will never be made right, and never be perfect until King Jesus, Revelation 19, 11, returns. I like to say it like this. There will be no perfection until the resurrection. Now, I believe there's a lot of Christians in misery. A lot of Christians who have gotten sour because they're expecting perfection this side of eternity. They're expecting a government that will not exist until King Jesus is in office. Now, we see this tension, I believe, in verses 13 and 14. We've got to embrace the tension. We've got to be aware of it. In in running, man, if you want to stay healthy, you've got to recognize that tension and take a day off. So, when it comes to God and government, we've got to, biblically speaking, recognize this tension and get comfortable with it, in a sense. Look at verse 13. Then they sent some of the Pharisees. Everybody say Pharisees. Pharisees. They're not fair, you see. The Pharisees and the Herodians. I don't have a clever little thing for the Herodians, sorry. They sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to Jesus to trap him in his words. Pharisees are religious leaders, the religious elite of the day, Herodians are political or governmental leaders. The Pharisees live by a strict devotion to the tradition of the elders. The Herodians are in the proverbial bed with the Roman government. They are appointed by the Roman government to exercise governmental authority over Judea. These two groups come to Jesus to trap him in his words. They've had a strategy since Mark 3, 6 to get Jesus to say something incriminating that would be worthy of a death sentence. And so when they came to him, verse 14, they said to him, teacher, not a good title for Jesus. Jesus, know this this morning, he's more than a teacher, he is God. 100% 100% God, 100% man. He is king of kings, Lord of lords. He is alpha and omega, beginning and end. He is a, has a name, Philippians 2.10, that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, notice the Pharisees and Herodians, they've got a problem politically. Why? They missed the mark when it came to the nature of Jesus. If they would regarded him as son of man, king of kings, then they would have gotten things in the right perspective. But they see him as teacher, and they say, We know you are truthful and don't care what anyone thinks, nor do you show partiality, but you teach the way of God truthfully. You could insert there in parentheses, insincere flattery. They're trying to butter Jesus up so that their trap will work. And then they ask this question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? Now, the title Caesar is kind of like the German Kaiser. It's used as a title for kingship. For the Roman emperor. Notice the question. Should we pay taxes or shouldn't we? And notice. This nature of the question. It's binary. There's two options. Yes. Or no. They're trying to trap Jesus with a yes or no question. Have you ever watched the so-called news? (laughs) And seen a host, throw out a bombshell question for one of the pundits and there's only one or two options in the question, yes or no. Now, note this first of all, many times when you're watching the news, you're not really watching the news, you're watching a debate. You're watching commentary. Be careful, seek to find real news and then allow God's word to be the commentary. But I want you to see this here, that they ask a yes or no question and they don't allow room for gray. They don't allow, listen, for the middle ground of God's wisdom. They don't allow for the son of God to speak the truth of God that transcends human ways of reasoning they want yes or no they want if you would allow me right right or left they allow no room for the tension between earthly earthly extremes we know this according to the Word of God. Read the Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 24. You'll read how the Bible says this answer a fool according to his folly, and then it turns right around and says, Don't answer a fool according to his, fo- his folly. Well, why does the Bible seem to give contradictory advice? Because the essence of wisdom is not knowing a fact, the essence of wisdom is knowing how to apply facts or God's truth to life. The essence of wisdom is embracing the tension that sometimes exists between human circumstances and then applying God's truths to those circumstances the Pharisees and the Herodians don't see this they want yes or no we see here in their question that there is often earthly tensions when it comes to all types of issues in life, especially issues of God and government. And we need to be willing as believers to realize there's no perfection until the resurrection. There will not be the ideal perfect government until King Jesus sits upon the throne and the new heaven and the new earth. We need to embrace that tension and realize no perfection till the resurrection. Another piece of advice, secondly, this morning, we can see from Jesus' words. Uh, Number two, we've got to avoid what I would call the sacred-secular split. Avoid the sacred-secular split. In other words, we've got to avoid holding the things of the Lord in one hand, while in an unhealthy way, holding the things of the World. In another hand, we've got to avoid having this lifestyle where we have Jesus on Sunday or Jesus in our devotion time, without allowing Jesus to impact our family, our work, and yes, even our approach to government. We've got to be people who pursue having Jesus as first Matthew six thirty three in our lives and allowing Jesus to permeate all that we do. Many Christians have unwittingly bought into this idea that the things of Christ are for one domain of life and the rest is just the rest. Keep Jesus out of it. Now now notice this in verse 15, how the Pharisees fell into this trap. Verse 15 says, knowing their hypocrisy, everybody say that word hypocrisy, Knowing their hypocrisy, Jesus said to them, Why are you testing me? Now, notice this word, hypocrisy. We often make much of this word and the way it was used of an actor in the first century world. And indeed, we believe the word upakritthai was used in that word, way. Uh, but the word here really has. The idea of one saying one thing while doing another. Saying one thing while doing another. This is one who lives by a double standard. And we know James tells us in James chapter 1 verse 18 that a double minded man is unstable in all his ways. But notice there hypocrisy. Why does Jesus perceive hypocrisy? Because he knows the Pharisees are baiting him into this debate. They want to cause him to trip or stumble in his words so that they can incriminate him. But they themselves had their own opinion concerning taxes. They paid their taxes. They would not have the positions they had if they were not faithful to fulfill their obligations to Rome. So it was hypocritical for them to ask these questions when they themselves paid taxes. Same thing was true for the Herodians. They were Rome's representatives of Rome and Judea. They were devoted to Roman occupation. It was hypocrisy for them to try to ensnare Jesus or to engage him in this debate because they had made it clear where they stood. And Jesus here notices an age-old problem that many religious people often have in matters related to God and government. The issue of double standards. Saying one thing professing Christ, while then living, acting in a different way. And know that this double standard is one, as our text shows us, that is particularly to be avoided when it comes to issues related to God and government. May we be people who sincerely follow the Lord and know his word. And then may we take his truth and a devotion to Him and to every arena of life. May we take Jesus into our families and into our marriages. May we take Jesus into the school place and the workplace. May we take Jesus into our civic involvement in the community. May we take Jesus into the ball fields and places of recreation. May we take Jesus into shops and into the marketplace. May we be people of integrity who profess the Lord and then live for the Lord, staying devoted to His truth. And may we especially, during this election season, notice and know the Lord's truth and vote accordingly. May we not be guilty of having a double standard of professing Jesus and then living acting or even voting in ways that would violate the heart and the word of our lord be careful of the sacred secular split now i brought a little snack for me in case my sermon goes long this morning brought some oreos these just aren't any oreos these are double stuff oreos i mean why have just normal oreos when you can have double stuff Oreos. Did you know that this isn't real cream in the middle? Somebody told me that after the last service. So if you have a dairy allergy, you can still eat Oreos. Now, there's a popular, there was a popular debate in Jesus' day concerning taxes. There's a popular debate in our day concerning Oreos, right? Do you eat them like this whole or do you twist off the top? and eat them separately. What do y'all think? Do y'all like to vote? Let's get some practice for November, all right? How many of y'all like eating them whole? Raise your hand. Amen, all right. How many of you like breaking them apart? Raise your hand, all right? Okay. We don't charge anything extra to be wrong around here for those of you who like to eat them apart. Now, it may be all right when it comes to Oreos to have it your way, either together or apart, together or split. Know this when it comes to the Christian life, James 1, 8. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. We've got to avoid this sacred, secular split when it comes to God and government. And we need to allow Jesus to permeate all that we are And all that we do, we need to be people of integrity, united, not divided between the Lord and the world. Number three, we see another piece of advice in our text here. We see uh, from Jesus that we need to remember that there is an invisible enemy. Remember that there is an invisible enemy. Look at number, verse number 15. It says, knowing their hypocrisy, Jesus asked them, why are you testing me? Notice that word, testing. It's used back in Mark chapter 1, verse 13. In fact, this is important to see. You could circle the word testing there, draw a line to the margin of your Bible, and write Mark 1, 13. The very same Greek word translated testing is used earlier in Mark's gospel to speak of the way in which Satan, Satan tempted or tested Jesus in the wilderness. If Jesus or Mark, takes that same Greek word here and uses it to describe the activity of the Pharisees and the Herodians. The Lord is depicted as regarding their attack as a satanic attack. They are trying to ensnare him, trip him, trap him when it comes to these issues of God and government and see what the Bible is showing us. Understand what Scripture is teaching us. The issues related to God and government are often an opportunity for our invisible enemy to bind people, to blind people, to ensnare and entrap people. Remember, according to Scripture, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against an invisible enemy remember his strategy since the garden of eden genesis chapter 3 what was satan's tactic he first sought to market divide and conquer did he not he got adam and eve separated and he knew that once they were separated he could enact his strategy to deceive we see his same strategy tactics in society today he is a liar and he is a thief he wants to destroy what God has created he wants to defame our Lord he wants to distract us from the reality of God he wants us to all play the fool and say in our heart as the psalmist said there is no God and how does he distract people Well, I believe he distracts people with all of the endless entertainment we see in society. He distracts people through trials and testings. But hear me, I believe just as we see in Scripture this morning, he is distracting people through political paradigms and political debates. He loves to get people's eyes and hearts off of Jesus and onto all of these endless debates going on in society. Scripture teaches, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that he loves to blind people's eyes from the realities of God. And he's doing it, people. He's got the same old worn-out tactics. And there's even Christians thinking they're doing some good and engaging something beneficial by giving in to what Paul called endless debates. Now, certainly, there's a place for political activism. And we should engage in that arena. Certainly there's a place for thinking through and talking about issues related to public policy. But hear me, there is a form of that debate that is profitless. We need to make sure we're not falling for the bait of Satan. I have this mask with me this morning. I I have this mask. I bought it on one occasion for when I travel... On an airplane, it's to block my eyes so that can I sleep. So anybody in here, you just got to have pitch black in order to sleep. I mean, I've got to have it dark, right? So um, I have these, and they're in the nightstand next to the bed. I normally don't take naps during the day, but I'll be honest with you. I'll show my humanity to you. Preaching three times on Sunday morning, I've been taking naps recently. So so last week, I, I told Laura, if you could... Get the kids to keep it down a little bit. I've got to take a nap. I'm really worn out. I went and turned off the lights, closed the blinds, and put my mask on. I don't care what you got to do with the kids. Let them play video games for three hours. i got to take a nap, all right? So it blocked out the light. I wake up looking like this. But think about society right now and all that's going on and all of the debates and all of the name-calling and all of the accusations and all of the anger and the fury. we got a whole lot of this going on. And Satan is the one doing it. And see the words of Jesus. There is a test. There is a temptation that comes from the enemy. And we need to be wise to it, church. And we need to cling to the Lord and his word. We need to love people and have mercy and pity upon people as snatching them from fire, as Jude says, knowing that there is an enemy who is distracting and deceiving. See another piece of advice in our text. Number four, God's word teaches us that we need to, as best as possible, respect our government. Do your best to respect your government. Look at how the text continues. Jesus tells them, bring me a denarius denarius to look at. This denarius was a common coin in the first century. It was the equivalent of the uh, popular Roman head tax or census tax. There was a Roman census tax required for every man, I believe, from age 14 to 65 by the way just for free the Romans give you a little bit of a model there that passed 65 there was no taxes but from 14 to 65 every man each year was required to pay a denarius it was uh, the wages of a farmer for a certain duration of time and it was expected every year of every uh, man I believe we have a picture of a denarius we can show you on the screen this morning Right? Yep, there's a denarius. How would you like to have a pocket of those bad boys this morning? Try to go use them when you eat lunch. All right, so there's your denarius. You have a picture of the emperor on one side. Everybody say hi, Tiberius. Hi, Tiberius. Yeah, there you got Tiberius on there. I think he had a little bit of latham in him. You see that nose right there? That kind of looks like me. Actually, that's mine's a price nose, my mom's family. But uh, there's the emperor on the coin and this coin was a, a thing of controversy for Jews in first century Canaan because not only was it an emblem of Roman domination and the necessity of paying taxes, that that coin actually had language on there that proclaimed the emperor as being divine. So know this about the debate. It's not just one of... Roman domination, the question here, it's also an issue of blasphemy. Many Jews viewed the actual currency as being a thing of evil speaking towards God, proclaiming the emperor as divine. So Jesus asked for this coin, and they bring it to Jesus. In verse 17, Jesus tells them, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. He uses a word in the original Greek language here, give, that is not the traditional word in Koine Greek for give. It is a precise word that was used for repaying a debt, repaying an obligation. Notice the meaning in Jesus' words. He wants us as disciples and believers to view ourselves as having a debt, if you will, an obligation to our government. Know this, the Lord's Word, Romans 13, tells us, 1 Timothy 4, and in 2 Peter, we read that we are to respect our government. 1 Peter 2, 13, excuse me, we are to respect our government and regard ourselves as having an obligation to the governing authorities. I had to teach my children about this just recently. We're going down the road. I've got one of those kids that ask you questions about everything. It's a lot like me. I was always asking questions. Patrick, can we just have a break from all the questions? But I've got a son like that, driving down the road. Daddy, who makes the roads? Well, we got these guys. The government pays people to come out and make them. Why does the government pay them? Well, we give money to the government through this thing called taxes and that helps us all have roads. Well what if they ever have a repair? Who fixes them? Can we have a break from all the questions, please? But I had an opportunity to explain, you know, we got things in society where we pay the government. If your house if our house ever catches on fire, guess what? We call 911. And then they send a fireman who's paid by the government. So so we know this as Christians, we have obligations to the government because of things that they supply for us. And the Lord here, Jesus, reminds us that we should fulfill those obligations. Now, we realize that's the rule, but there's always exceptions to the rule, right? What's the exception in this case? Go to Acts chapter 5 and read. When the early church was told, you can't speak the name of Jesus, what did they say? They said, we've got to obey God rather than man. Let's have a revival of that type of thinking. Let's be on guard with the way in which society is going, that we need to be ready to stand up for our faith and not give in. we know Daniel, in Daniel chapter 1, he said to Nebuchadnezzar at one point, I've got to draw a line in the sand. You can take away my identity. You can teach me to speak your Bible, but I will not be defiled by your food. And we know his three friends said, O king, excellent king, we can obey you in many matters, but we cannot bow the knee to worship you. We serve the one true God. Notice, however, that we have not been brought to that point by the grace of God. I believe there's many Christians that get a bad attitude when they have not yet been pressed in the way the apostles or Daniel were. They get a bad attitude towards the government. And we need a little bit of balance And remember the Lord's called us to respect our governing authorities. Sure, they may become that place where we draw the line in the sand, but hear the teaching of Jesus. And by the way, if you get some folks respecting the government in 21st century society, they're going to stick out like a sore thumb. might cause everybody to say, what's so different about them that they respect the government? And then we have an opportunity. That's what 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4 teaches us. Through our relation to government, we have an opportunity to witness for Jesus. Two more truths and I'll be concluded, be finished, excuse me. We see number five from our text that we have to make our devotion to the Lord our first priority. So this is important. Jesus calls his disciples to view themselves as having an obligation to the government. But then he reminds them that they need to make their devotion to the Lord their first priority. Priority. How do we see this in the text? Well, look at what he says as he continues. Verse 17, Jesus told them, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, to God the things that are God's. So Jesus uses this same word, give, that refers to repaying an obligation or a debt. He uses it to describe our obligation to God. So we have a dual obligation here. One to the world, or one to government, and one to the Lord, one to God. Now, we know Scripture teaches us that we should keep this first place, Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? Colossians 3, 1 through 2, as we are on this world, we should keep our eyes on the Lord fixed on the Lord in heaven. Now notice in the passage the way that Jesus encourages a supreme devotion to the Lord. Go backtracked. Go back with me to verse 16. They brought a coin and Jesus holds up the coin and asks what? Whose image is And inscription is this. So let's just pretend that this Oreo is a coin. I don't have any coins in my pocket this morning. So Jesus is holding up the coin. And he says, whose image is this? And he uses the word, Mark uses the word image, Greek word, from which we get our word icon. Now, Jesus may have been speaking a different language, but the concept of image was very important for first century Jews. It was actually foundational to their entire belief system about God and about life. That word image appeared all the way back in Genesis chapter 1 when God spoke about the way in which he made man and woman. Do you remember the word? The word? Genesis 126, then God said, let us make man in our own image. Jesus here is strategic. The Pharisees and the Herodians are trying to trap him, but he's sending a secret message to his disciples. He's reminding his disciples, you've got an obligation to pay taxes to the man who's on this, whose image is on this coin. But never forget, you're made in the image of another. And your utmost devotion should be towards that one in whose image you have been made. Make him your first priority. Live for him. And make Jesus the center of your life. Allow all that you do to be permeated with who he is, who he says you are, and what his word reveals. Make devotion to the Lord your first priority. I just want to tell you, church, I'm not interested in selling out and filling my social media f- feed with a bunch of things other than the Lord. I'm not interested in selling out and spending all of my time and obsessing over worldly matters. Sure, I need to engage in those things, and sure, I need to speak on those things, and sure, I need to do my civic duty, and I need to preach God, but I need to preach God's word, and I need to keep Him first. We do as well. Make the Lord your first priority. Lastly, let's, let's see this, this truth, verse 17. I want you to see that we need to remember to value God's truth over man's opinions. Boy, we sure are in a world of a lot of opinions, aren't we? And everybody's got a right to their opinion, and everybody now has a platform for their opinion through social media and blogs and forums. But notice how our text ends. It says, they were utterly amazed at him. Utterly amazed. Why? Because of Jesus' teaching. He had been painted into the proverbial corner. He was wrapped up in a catch-22. Seemingly no way out. Yet he gave teaching that transcended human debates. Where there was just a yes or a no, binary question, left or right, Jesus offered truth that far transcended man's ways of thinking. The people, as they did at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, stood amazed because Jesus spoke as one who had authority. Jesus' truth trumped the questions, the belief systems of the Pharisees and the Herodians. And we're reminded of Isaiah chapter 55. Oh, let's remember our Lord. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Let's remember the truth that Paul gave when writing to the Corinthians. The foolishness of, the, the wisdom, excuse me, the wisdom of man is foolishness in the eyes of the Lord. And so God help us as we ever trade in our Bibles and trade in the truth of God for mere man-made philosophies and ways of looking at things. Let's make sure we value God's truth over man's opinions and say with the psalmist, O Lord, in the midst of this 21st century world that's so confusing and so chaotic, may your word be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. For more information, visit us online at tabernaclebaptist.org. Thanks for listening.